This week we took our pastors up on a prayer retreat to Max Patch, which is a bald that's near the North Carolina-Tennessee state line. And from the top of this mountain, you have 360-degree views all around for miles and miles. I mean, it's a very remote area uh, and difficult to get to. But once you get there, it's an incredible place to go and just spend time in prayer. Uh, you know, when you read in the, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus often went away by himself to pray. And so I just want to encourage you. I mean, you don't have to go all the way out to the middle of nowhere. You can do that at your house. Uh, but if you want to go out to the middle of nowhere, that's a great place to go. But just spend some time like that, concerted time in prayer. But, so as we were there this week, it's a place that I'd been a lot of times before. And so I knew that, you know, at the bottom of this, of this mountain, there, there are two trails that go up to the top. There's one that goes off to the left and one that goes off to the right. And I'd been on both of them before. And I knew that the one that goes off to the left is way easier than the one that goes up to the right. Okay, I mean, it's just, the one on the left is just sort of, it's like you're just strolling along through the mall, at, you know, at, at Westtown Mall. You're just kind of going like this and, and up to the top. The one on the, on the right side is a little bit harder than that. There's a little bit steeper and, and a little bit more treacherous. But uh, recently, they actually put signs up at the, at the base of the mountain. There's two signs, and the one says, it literally says, easy way, harder way. I mean, it literally says that, okay? The, now, the, the trails are about the same distance when you get uh, to the top, but one is a whole lot easier than the other one. Well, there's a couple of our pastors, I think, that did not see those signs, okay? Uh, and so they went up on the right side, on the harder way, and uh, got to the top and just were, whew, that was a tough trail to get up there. And we were like, why did you go that way? You know, you could have gone this way, and it was so much easier on that way and, and saw just exactly how much easier it was to go on the other side. Uh, and we're a little upset that they had gone down the right to begin with. But there are a lot of people who think that getting to heaven is just like that. That there's this mountain that we call heaven, and there's all lots of different trails, but they all go up to the top eventually. Maybe some are a little bit harder than the other ones. But whatever trail you choose, by the time that you're done, you'll get up to the top. But unfortunately... That's not how the Bible says that we get to heaven. That there is really only one way, the Bible says, that we can get to heaven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so a lot of people think that, man, if I just go down this trail, if I go down this religion or go up this, uh, this path, I'll get there. But what they don't realize is that it doesn't lead to the top. It takes them somewhere where they don't want to go. It doesn't end up in a relationship with God. And the promise of the gospel is that we only have to believe by faith to receive this promise. That you don't have to, to work for it. That's not the path. You don't have to, to wish for it. That's not the path. You don't have to keep these steps or do those things. This relationship with God can be yours today through faith in Jesus. So the question that I want us to consider today in our hearts as we go through this passage of Scripture is, what promise are you trusting in? What promise are you trusting in? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series through Galatians this morning called No Other Gospel. And we come to Galatians chapter 3, and we're in the middle of this argument that Paul is making to the church there at Galatia. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word, if you're able, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 10. The word of God says, 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. My point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to examine this gospel promise. And as I mentioned, Paul is in the middle of this argument, and it's a complicated argument. I'll need you to listen and follow through uh, with me as I work through these verses this morning. And he's comparing the argument that the Judaizers, this group that had come into the church at Galatia and basically had said to the church there, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but in addition to that, you must also keep the Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised. You need to observe the festivals. You need to observe the dietary laws, all those sort of other things. They said you need to do all these works in addition to faith in order to really be saved. And so that's the argument that they were making to this church. And so Paul is writing to the church and he's saying to them, do not listen to this group. They are completely wrong. They are leading you astray. You're going up a path that does not lead to the top. He says you need to listen. The gospel is by faith. And this is the argument that he's making over and over and over again throughout this letter. That our trust, our faith is really and truly only in the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And so he, he's contrasting these two uh, views, the one that the Judaizers were bringing into the church and the one that he is sharing with them uh, about the gospel. And so the first thing that we see here is that the promise of the law rebukes. This is what the Judaizers were telling them. Put your trust in the law. Put your trust in these works and doing these things. And so he's pressing these Judaizers even further. And he says to them, if you If you want to rely on the law for salvation, then let's rely on the law. He says, if this is the game you want to play, then let's play it. He goes, here's what the law says in verse 10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And so he says, if you want to rely on the law for your salvation, you are cursed. Because that's what the law says itself. He's quoting here. He quotes extensively uh, from the Old Testament here in this passage. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26 where it says, Anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. And all the people say, Amen. And so he says, this is what the law that you're putting your trust in says. That if you don't keep it perfectly, you're cursed. 
And so he looks at all of them and he says, have you kept the law perfectly? I mean, they all know that they hadn't because he says that's the standard of the law. It's perfection. It's the holiness of God. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. I mean, you probably didn't even make it here this morning without sinning, right? And it's just early still. How are you going to make it your whole life? Perfectly keeping the law. And he says, if you've already broken the law, then you're out. That you can't do anything to make your sin go away. You can't cover it up and and act like it's not there. So that when you stand before God in judgment, you're condemned. Because you've broken this law. So how then can we be declared right before God? What are we supposed to do in order to be justified before him? Paul points them back to faith again. He says it's by believing in the righteous one that we can be declared righteous. In verse 11 and 12, he says, now it's clear. No one is justified. That word justified, we talked about it last week, means to be declared right before God. He says that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous, he says, will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. So again, he's, he's quoting Old Testament to them. That's what they were putting their hope in. And so he quotes to them from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, look, his ego's inflated. He's without integrity, but the righteous ones will live by his faith. He says, this is what the Old Testament says, that the righteous ones will live by faith. It's not the law that justifies us before God. He says, you've already admitted that you're cursed because you've not perfectly kept the law. He goes on to quote from Leviticus, saying that the one who does these things will live by them. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, the law says, Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. He says, if you'll do them, you'll live. Here's the problem. We don't do them. We don't keep them. We break them constantly. We break them repeatedly. And so as a result, we will not live. He says, if you do them, then you'll live. But we break them all the time. So as a result, we'll not live. We'll die because the penalty for our sin is death. So again, how can we be declared right before God? How can we be justified? We're only justified before God by the perfect one, Jesus. That's what Paul says next there in verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament there. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. Where the Bible says, you're not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Jesus, of course, hung on the tree, hung on the cross But it wasn't because of his sin. He did it for us. And so we're redeemed because Jesus paid the price for our sin. Our disobedience has a price. But Jesus paid the price there on the cross. We're the ones who are cursed. But it says that he became that curse for us. 
And that's only possible because Jesus did the impossible. He lived a life without sin. He lived a life where he kept the law perfectly. And so he owed no debt for his sin. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. But he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice in our stead. He took our place. He took our punishment upon himself. And we're set free from sin. And we're set free from the consequences of sin through faith in Jesus. And when we trust in him, As our Savior, when we follow him as the Lord of our life, the Bible says that we're made new, that we're washed clean, that we're made right with God. And that's what Jesus told us. And so the question is, do you believe him? Isaac Watts said, I believe the promises of God enough to venture an eternity on them. What about you? What promise are you trusting in today? If you want to play the game of I'm doing enough good things or I'm doing better than that guy, Paul says, all right, you want to do that game? This is how that game plays. This isn't the game that you want to play. That path doesn't lead to the top. But instead, he points them, secondly, to the promise of the gospel. He says, the promise of the law rebukes us, but the promise of the gospel redeems us. This is the promise of the gospel is that we have redemption in Christ. In verse 14, he says, the purpose was. He's talking about the death of Christ. Remember that he became a curse for us by dying on a tree. He says that the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So the purpose of Jesus hanging on the tree was our redemption. (laughs) He loved us so much that he was willing to die and be cursed so that we could live and be blessed through faith in him. And the purpose was that this blessing would go to all the nations through Jesus. That's why this is important for us. Because not many of us who are here today are of Jewish descent. But he says here that This promise is even for you and for me through faith in Jesus, that we could receive this redemption. Paul writes to another Gentile church in Rome, if you turn over to Romans chapter 4, and this is what he says to them in Romans 4 and verse 16. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who's of the law, but also to the one who is Abraham's faith. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. 
He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone. Are you hearing this? It was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He says, this is how the promise comes to us. By faith. Just as Abraham had faith, in this promise that God gave him, that he would make him a father of of many nations. He says this promise is credited to us as well who believe. I mean, what an incredible promise that, that men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation could be called children of God. That people who have different skin colors, people who come from different parts of the world, people who are from even from different centuries, could all be blessed through Jesus, the Son of God. That this promised blessing to Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Christ and that we could receive the promised spirit through faith in him. I mean, this seems impossible, but we hope against hope, believing that what God promised, he's also able to do, just like Abraham said. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And that's what we're holding on to today. So let's go back and and look at this promise and follow Paul's argument that he's making here to the church. In verse 15, he says to them, brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. So Paul's using the illustration here of a last will and testament. We're probably familiar with that concept. You've seen it or heard about it or maybe have experienced it uh, from someone who preceded you in death. And Paul says once, once a will is validated, once it's you know, put into effect, it, it can't be changed. Now, of course, we can change our wills today if, if you know, we write out a will and maybe the circumstances change or, or our desires change. We can change it. Before we die. The same was true with them back then. They could change it uh, before they die. But once a person is deceased, once it's validated, then it can't be changed. You can't go back and say, well, I think what he really meant was the covenant can't be changed at that point. And so Paul is saying to them, once this uh, covenant has been validated, it can't be changed. But here's the problem. The living God doesn't die. So what is Paul referring to when he speaks of a will that can't be changed? One commentator points to Jewish inheritance laws that were called matnat bari, in which a person could make an irrevocable statement to another before their death, before they die. And that that would be the last will and testament. This is precisely what Jesus is referring to when he tells us the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the, the, the rotten son goes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance now. And what does he do? 
He separates it all and he gives it to them. He does exactly what we're talking about here. He's still alive, but he, he, puts, he validates his last will and testament at that point. And he separates the land and gives it to him. It can't be changed after that. It can't be altered after that. It's been done. And this is the type of covenant that God makes with Abraham based on his promise. God doesn't die, but he says, I'm giving you this promise. I'm giving you my word and I'm validating it now. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So, it says, Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is a covenant that was ratified as Abraham built an altar there to the Lord and made a sacrifice unto the Lord. This is a phrase that was repeated many times throughout the Old Testament story of Abraham. He built an altar to the Lord at Shechem, at Bethel, at Hebron, and finally at Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. One commentator writes, God's covenant with Abraham was not ratified by a bloodless word, but rather by a series of altar rituals strung across the Middle East, all pointing to that other altar on Mount Moriah. That's the one where the Lamb of God was sacrificed in our place. And on that altar, the Son of God was slain for the sin of the world, and God's promise was fulfilled to us. And so the question then is, for whom is this promise? That's the question. The Judaizers were saying to the Galatians, that's not for you. (laughs) But Paul is saying to them, this is your promise through faith in Jesus. In verse 16, he says to them, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So the the Judaizers claimed that they were the recipients of the promise to Abraham, because they were the ones who were of Jewish descent. They were the offspring of Abraham. They were the seeds of Abraham. They kept the law. But Paul says the promise was to Abraham and to his seed, singular. He's making a, a, a very clear point here in this passage of Scripture. He says the promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular. He says that seed that God is referring to is Jesus, so that through Jesus, we all can be counted as sons of Abraham by faith. He says, he's the seed. Now, when you were young, you used to sing a really theologically astute song, but you didn't know it then. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, right? I don't know about the arms and legs and stuff, but the first part of the song is really good. Where we're saying, Father Abraham has many sons. And I am, I'm not Jewish, but I'm one of them. And so are you if you have put your faith in Jesus. We all can be counted as children of God through faith. And so these Judaizers, they were pointing to this covenant that God made at Sinai with Moses. And they were saying, this is our hope, that we are keeping the law. It was there that God gave him the law to give unto the people of Israel. 
And in verse 17 here, Paul says, my point is this, that that law which came 430 years later doesn't invalidate a covenant that was previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. He says that a law that came half a millennium after the original covenant can't override the original covenant because it's been put into effect. It's been validated. God validated it to him. He says, so you can't come back after the fact and change it. It can't cancel out the promise of God. He says the law didn't cancel the promise. It reinforced the need for it. The law spotlights our sin and shows us our need for God's grace by faith. And so in verse 18, he says, if the inheritance is based on that law, then it's no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. So this inheritance that we're hoping for, that our faith is in, that we're trusting in, that we're looking forward to, it's based on the promise and not on the law. We're not trusting in the promise of the law. That rebukes us. We're trusting in the promise of the gospel because that redeems us. So is obedience not important then? Does the law even matter? That's where Paul's gonna go next in the next passage. But is obedience not important then? I would point you back to Abraham and say, well, what happened after Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness? In Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He was credited God's righteousness because he believed by faith. But then one commentator writes that after that, Abraham was circumcised and he obeyed because of his faith. Yes, he was justified by faith, but he also began to live obediently by faith. Abraham believed God, and he obeyed God. Abraham believed God, and he left his home to go to a place that God would show to him. Abraham believed God and was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only heir, on the mountaintop. And after that experience, in Genesis 22 and verses 16 and 17, the Lord said to him, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand on the seashore. God says, because you believed and you obeyed, I'm going to bless you. David Platt writes, when you trust God, you do things that seem crazy to the world. Not because you're earning salvation, but because you believe God. The obedience is evidence of your belief. If you don't obey God, do you really believe him? Are we ready to put feet to our faith? Or is our faith in words only? I think that it's time that we would boldly, passionately, unashamedly live out our faith before a lost world. That we would let our light shine into the darkness. That we would open up the windows and let the light in. Because the world needs this hope. And it's the only hope for them. 
and they're trying to go up this path and they're trying to follow this path and none of those paths lead to the top. They're only going to get there through faith. That's the promise of the gospel. So what promise are you trusting today? There may be some here this morning who need to receive this promise of the gospel into your heart. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you're from, but I know this, that the gospel promises us that no matter what you look like, no matter how much money's in your bank account, no matter what you've done, that you can be forgiven of all of your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he lived a righteous life and he died on a cross in your place and in my place and he paid the price of punishment for our sin. He died there. He was placed in a grave. But on that first Easter Sunday morning, he walked out of the tomb and he was alive because he is the son of God, because he is the victorious king of kings and Lord of lords. And all who would put their faith in him can be forgiven of their sins, can be washed clean, can be made right before God. It can have a relationship with God. And that can be true in your heart today, in your heart today, if you'll turn from your sin and call on Jesus to forgive you as your Savior. Commit to follow him with your life as your Lord and as your King. And so if that's a decision that you want to make this morning, I want to encourage you to come. In a minute, we're going to have a time of response. And there's going to be standing and singing, and there's going to be people here at the front. And we're here to talk with you about this decision, to pray with you to encourage you in your faith. Maybe you're watching online and this is a decision that you want to make this morning. I'd encourage you to grab your phone, text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. That lets us know that this is a decision that you want to make and gives us a chance to, to talk with you about it. There's others here this morning. Maybe you're a Christian already. And we've been reminded of how we trust in this gospel promise. That we're not following other paths, we're following the path of Christ through faith in Jesus. But what Paul is reminding us is that obedience is evidence of our belief. And so maybe today there are areas of your life that you need to commit to the Lord. Areas where you're being disobedient, where you need to ask for forgiveness and repent and to commit yourself to be the light that we are saying about, the light that we've been talking about today in a world that needs to know about this gospel promise. So maybe you want to spend some time at your seat or here at this altar in prayer. But however God is speaking to you today, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word Lord, for the hope that we have in the promise of Jesus. Lord, that we don't have to figure this out on our own. We don't have to go up the hard path. But God, that we can follow Christ by faith today, by believing in what he did. And God, there may be some in this room today that need to make that decision in their own heart. Say, I want want to follow Christ I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want this relationship with God. God, I pray that they would step out today in faith and make that decision. 
got others in the room that you're speaking to their hearts in different ways. God, I pray that they would be obedient to how you're leading them, how you're speaking to them. God, obedience is evidence of our belief. And so, God, may we be uh, an example, a witness, a light, Lord, in our, in our dark world. God, there may be some that you're calling to become part of this church family. God, I pray that they would come during this time and unite with what you're doing here at Wallace, Lord, to, to make us a greater witness, a greater, Lord, force for you, for good in this community and to the ends of the earth. So God, have your way during this time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.